stand and sing with us this morning?
Good morning and welcome to Cross Timber on this holiday weekend. Um, it's called Labor Day weekend and hopefully if, if you're not a retired person, there will be a time where you can cease for your labor, um, from your labor and enjoy rest. Um, if not, hopefully the, the busy schedule of your retired folks will allow a time for um, a little rest and relaxation. But we want to welcome you here to Cross Timber. It's our pleasure that you've joined us for worship. Um, just to let you know that... Um, we are so glad that you are here, whether you're a regular folk or you're, you're visiting with us. And I just want to highlight um, one thing before we um, continue our singing this morning. That's we would love to be able to connect with you. And there's a card in the bulletin right here that you can use to share prayer requests. You can ask questions, update your information. You can say, hey, I don't get emails. How can I get emails? Pretty much anything you want to ask, just put it on this card. And if you do share a prayer request, just on the back of the card, be sure and note whether it's okay or not for us to... Share that over the email, and we will honor that. Um, but other than that, we, um, we're glad you're here. We um, just join, ask you to join in participating through our singing as we listen to um, God's Word together as we read Scripture. And we pray that God will, will bless us with His presence as we worship Him and as we study His Word. So good morning, and Lord bless you.
Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing.
Our scripture reading this morning is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Apologize that it's not printed in the bulletin. If I would have known what I was going to read before they printed the bulletin, I would have put it in the bulletin. But 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we'll read um, together verses 7 through 18 this morning before the, the deacons come and we receive our offering. I'm thankful for the songs we've sang thus far and 
trust these verses will help us um, set our hearts on the, the beauty and the wonder of our Savior and His incredible love and amazing grace. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Our Father in heaven, we come to you, Lord, and uh, realizing that all that's said is just read out of your word is, is the truth, and it's above all that would be called truth, and your word is truth. We thank you, Father, that we're included in that, and even as we come together to worship you and thank you and praise you today, we pray that you prepare our hearts for what is left of your word and for Rusty to feed us on today, Lord, that you would uh, open our hearts to understand and apply it to each of our needs, that, uh, that you would make it known to us. We love you, Lord, and thank you. Thank you that you love all people in the world, and thank you that you're using this offering that we're taking now to spread your word all around the world. We ask you to bless that and multiply it. And may it not return to you back. We thank you. I did here several months ago. It came to me that the greatest gift that God could give us was His Son. That's what this is about.
Oh, he died for me. Was crucified for me. And he rose from the tomb to set me free. Now you walk with me. You even talk to me. What a joy to my soul, you set me free. And I hear what you say through your word every day. And I try to live my life and follow in your way. Sweet Jesus, what a great day it will be when I see you face to face. All my sins have been erased, and all my faults have been replaced with your love. Oh, with your love. Well, I'll try to do my best to share you with the rest. And I pray somehow they see you in me. For then we'll gather at the cross Knowing our sins have been lost. And again, we'll thank God that we've been set free. Oh, Jesus, my sweet Jesus, what a great day. I see you face to face and all my sins have been erased all my faults have been replaced with your love oh, with your Your love carries me through each day, and I found, Lord, that your love is the only way, only way. Yes, Lord, you're the only way.
Titus chapter 2 is where you can start turning in your Bibles and find verse 11, and we'll read there from in just a few moments as we take time to study God's Word together on this holiday weekend. It's always a wonderful um, blessing to sing um, Amazing Grace and just to wonder and marvel at God's goodness um, toward us. Us. A long time ago, at the foot of Mount Hermon in the northern part of modern-day Israel, in the area they call the Golan Heights, Jesus made a declaration in front of His disciples. I will build My church. And He promised that the gates of hell wouldn't stand against it. And Jesus didn't construct a a building. He gathered together for Himself a people. And today, the church that is called by the name of Jesus is not made of lumber or bricks or filled with furniture and electronics, but rather it consists of men and women that the Bible tells us are fitted together like living stones and being formed into a spiritual house. And this church that Jesus is still building is a family. Every member, both men and women, old and young, are adopted into the family in Christ. God is the Heavenly Father. Jesus is our older brother. And so we can say with confidence, no matter where we are, if we're a fellowship of believers, we are the church. In fact, say that right now. Say, we are the church. And we exist in Jesus, we follow after Jesus, we worship Jesus, and we share the good news about Jesus because we are His church. And everyday people around us know a lot about the church, or they think they do. But many times what they know mostly about a church is what the church stands against, the things that we don't like, that we don't put up with, the things that we think should be changed. But I wonder 
on any given day how many people that we run into know the things that the church stands for or should stand for. That we should love the way that our Jesus loved. And we should stand up in defense of those that He defends and stand up for the principles that His kingdom represents. And while many people see the church for all the things that we're not for, it's important for us to look at who we are and the things that define us. And so for the next five Sundays through September and the first Sunday in October, I'm very excited. We're going to look at We Are the Church. The logo up there, it's kind of a crazy story. I was Google imaging one day and it's back in 2018 and I came across this image and I knew it was wrong to steal it. But I loved it. And so I did a deeper Google search, and I found that it came from a church in Australia. And I found their email, and I emailed them. I said, you know, I love this. I've never seen anything like it. Can I use it? They were more than gracious. They customized the file and sent it back to me and said, here, use it. And so they gave me this whole file of different slides. But it represents the fact that it's a building made up of And during these next five weeks, I want us to look at five questions. We're going to look at the first one today. And those questions are, what is grace? Who is my neighbor? What is my purpose? Who is my family? And what is our our focus? And then hopefully along the way, figure out how we can participate in this family, this church that God has placed us in. But this morning, we're going to look at what is grace. Now, I've pre-enlisted some folks to help us get the idea of what grace is, and they're going to share in their own words. And so, Larry has stayed up here patiently while I finish talking, and Larry is going to tell us, and after Larry, Glenna is going to come and share as well. So, Larry, why don't you just share with us? Thank you, Justin. Grace, to me, is a gift. You can say grace, gift, it's the same. So God has given us grace, me, let's just talk personally me. God has given me grace, but at no cost to me. It's a free gift, is the way I look at it. He's, he's done several things for me through the past, but the mo- one of the most important things, of course, is the Holy Spirit. He stands with me daily. Grace is the Holy Spirit. Gift is the Holy Spirit. He guides me daily. Tells me, don't take that turn, take this one. Don't do this, do that. Because if I had my way, I'd do everything wrong. But listen to the Holy Spirit. More than that, what's the most important gift is God gave His Son. So we could believe in Him and not perish and have everlasting life. So that's that's grace to me. Larry. Glenna, why don't you come and, and share with us? And if you want to grab that microphone, you can stand right up here if you want to read, or you can stay there either way. Well, if you know me, the first thing I did when you said, give, give me your definition of grace, I went to the dictionary. This time it was the Bible dictionary. And I loved what it said. Grace is undeserved acceptance and love. 
Can you think of a better definition? But it says usually the person asking for grace is asking it from someone who is in authority over them. God is in authority over me. And so when he extends grace, it comes from him. One of the scriptures that all of us probably know, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is, as Larry said, a gift from God. Let me read that to you in the Amplified. Are you familiar with the Amplified Bible? It gives you every nuance of what it could mean as it shares the scripture. So let me read it. For it is by grace, God's remarkable compassion and favor, drawing you to Christ, that you have been saved, actually delivered from judgment and given eternal life through faith. And this salvation is not of yourselves, not through your own effort, but it is the undeserved, gracious gift of God. Amen. Thank you, Glenna. And Stephen, why don't you come and let me... Excuse me. So, uh, when Rusty asked me um, to, to answer the question, what is grace? So, a very specific example of a situation came to my mind, and I wanted to share that with you guys uh, this morning. So, m many of, most of you guys know me and um, my story and struggles with sexual integrity and brokenness and the impact that that's had on my life and my family's life. And, um, you know, just looking at that, it's it's been so hard and painful and challenging, overwhelming and confusing. It's it's been a tough road, um, but God's grace has absolutely shined upon us. And so, um, Don and I were at Lifeway one evening, and I was, and this is several years ago, looking looking for books. And you know, you pick up books and you read the back of the book and. And you, you get a feeling if, if it's interesting to you or not. And so I picked up this book. It's by Max Licato, and it's called Grace. And I'm going to read to you what it says in the back of this. Um, so it says, we talk as though we understand the term grace. The bank gives us a grace period. The seedy politician falls from grace. Musicians speak of a grace note. We describe an actress as gracious, a dancer as graceful. We use the word for hospitals, baby girls, teens, and pre-mill prayers. We talk as though we know what grace means. When asked, do you believe in grace, who could say no? But here's the part that really struck me and, 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 and got me to pick up the book, uh, buy the book and read the book. It says, um, there are deeper questions. Have you been changed by grace? shaped by grace, strengthened by grace, emboldened by grace, softened by grace. And you can look at each one of those and say, you know, grace is a place where change can happen. Grace can shape us. It can strengthen us. It can give us boldness. 
It can soften us. But then this last sentence just took me and broke me. It says, have you been snatched by the nape of your neck and shaken to your senses by grace? And at that point, I just realized that, you know, these secrets that I thought I would take to the grave, wanted to take to the grave, um, the exposure of that, that coming to light was his grace shining upon me and my family. And that's what grace is. Praise the Lord. You can see that grace is transforming. And I want to encourage you, church family, whether you do it now, and I don't really care if you do it now or you do it later, write out your own definition of grace. What does grace mean to you? Take it, put it in your Bible, reflect on it during the week. But this morning, as we explore this topic of grace, and I just noticed on there that it's the next five weeks. Um, I'm saving letters, so I have an extra T to use later. Um, so I'll just keep that in the bank. Um, but I want us to look at this morning, and the answer, what is grace, is that the grace of God brings salvation, transforms lives, and ignites compassion and love. That when God revealed His grace to us through His Son, Jesus, that that was revolutionary. And we're going to see in Titus 2 that grace appeared in Jesus. We're hopefully going to define grace based on what this passage tells us and see how it should define us. So let's read these verses. Chapter 2, we'll start in verse 11. We'll read down just through verse 15, and then we'll take time to pray. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation... For all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Lord, I thank you that as we listen to voices from the body of testimonies of your grace, that we are reminded of your incredible love for us. How you have given us a wonderful gift that is so undeserved and can never be earned. And Lord, just as Stephen read, we pray that we would be grabbed by the nap of our neck and shaken in a good way by your grace and your mercy and your love. Lord, help us as we study. Lord, help us to understand. Help us to see. But Lord, most of all, help us to be changed. And we pray this in your name. Amen. There's a three-point outline in your bulletin that will help you follow along. And the first thing we need to see is that we need to receive God's Grace. Larry said very correctly that grace is a gift, and just like any gift, we must receive it. Now, now grace is part of who God is. It's one of His attributes. He's holy. He's loving. He's pure. He's merciful. He is gracious. It's His unmerited, undeserved favor toward you and me who are undeserving and unworthy, and it's made possible by the perfect sinless sacrifice of 
Jesus. It's according to His perfect, eternal plan. He's always been gracious. It's for the benefit of broken people, men and women, and it's always based in love. And when we become aware of how frail we are, how unable we are to live up to His standards or do anything we can do to save ourselves, we fall on our, our knees and we say, God, we need You. And we reach out with hungry hands to receive this gift that You can't earn. And apart from that grace, apart from God's grace for us, there would be no hope for any of us. There would certainly be no salvation, and we wouldn't be able to stand from day to day. But that grace that was there for the beginning is still here today, and those Old Testament believers that we read about in the Bible look forward to the promise of the coming Messiah. They look forward to when God's grace would provide the Deliverer, and when Jesus came to earth as a man, as a baby first, and grace appeared in person. Grace appeared in, in Jesus. So when Jesus came, God's grace showed up in the flesh. John saw it. John 1.14, he said that, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the one and only Son from the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. And Titus reads this wonderful letter from Paul, and he reads these words, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. Now the idea there of something appearing is like the sun breaking over the horizon in the morning, watching it come on the edge of the ocean or over the edge of a mountaintop, and the light rays just shine out everywhere. Reminding us that when Jesus came, He who said He was the light of the world came to shine His light into a sinful, morally dark world. The writer of Hebrews said that the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature came into the world. And so where Jesus is, grace is. Where His words are read, there is grace. And every act that Jesus ever undertook was graceful. Think about these instances for just a moment. Woman, where are your accusers? Go and sin no more. Grace. Take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. That's grace. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's grace. The ladies are about to start reading a little book written by Liz Curtis Higgs, um, titled Embrace Grace, which the ministry Embrace Grace took their name from. And listen to what she said. God meets us where we are. Even if we aren't looking in His direction, He's always looking in ours. And so God's grace always says, you're accepted when you feel rejected. You're loved when you feel unlovable. You're free when you feel bound up and that you were made for more when you feel like you're nothing. And this grace 
the most wonderful gift is that it brings salvation. The verse 11 says it brings salvation for all people. Now, we can't understand, we can't misunderstand it and think that it says everybody's going to be saved. It's not true. But it makes the possibility of salvation available to all. That through Jesus, God did something for us that we couldn't ever do for ourselves. And while we try to be good, and we try harder to do better, we can't do anything to ever save ourselves. But because because God loves me and God loves you, that's why Jesus came. To die in your place, to take your punishment, to rise from the dead so that we could find life. And we call that the gift of salvation. And I think sometimes we need to remind ourselves what we, why we need to be saved. And the world around us needs to know. You know, we, we talk about lost people a lot of times. Here's the reality. Most of the people that we would call a lost person don't realize they're lost. Because they don't know what they're lost from. We think about that in terms of what the Bible says about the, the lost sheep or those who have wandered away from God. But why do people need to be saved? Well, because starting with the first couple, Adam and Eve, every person chooses to willingly disobey God. We call it sin. It's part of our flesh nature. And because God is holy and can't be in the presence of sin, there is a separation between us and God because of our sin. So we have a sin problem. And we can't do anything about it. And we need somebody to come in and rescue us or deliver us because we can't ever possibly save ourselves. It's more dangerous than quicksand. It's more deadly than the depths of the ocean. And what God did is He provided a, a rescue. He sent His Son, Jesus, who lived the perfect life that was necessary, who died as a sacrifice and rose again, and He gave His life for us so that we could live in Him. And our response to that, whether we accept or reject, is the difference between eternal life and eternal separation. And we wouldn't have that opportunity if it was not for his grace. Glenda read it earlier, but Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. It's not a, a work we can do. It's a gift we receive. And it's offered to anyone who would receive Jesus. And the right there is to be called children of God, John chapter 1, verse 12. But only those who trust in Jesus receive the full effect of His grace. And when we receive that grace, here's the exciting part. Life begins to change. You're saved. You're rescued. You're redeemed from your old life. But then you're also set free to live a completely new kind of life. And as Larry spoke about, it's the presence of the Holy Spirit in us that enables us, that empowers us, that guides us to live this new kind of life. Let me give you a Finn update. Finn's our rescue dog. Um, just to define a little bit about rescue, his mom was um, found in a dumpster in Houston. And so Finn made the journey from dumpster to shelter, to now 623 Ridge Hill Drive. 
He's found a new place. He's been given a new name, and in a lot of ways, he has a new life. But adjusting to that life (laughs) takes time. And we'll be glad to show you we have marks um, to prove the fact. But I was reading about rescue dogs. And they generally follow the three by three by three rule. It takes about three days for them to decompress, three weeks for them to settle in, and three months to feel at home. And you see, Finn was saved from the shelter, but the growth and development he needs will take time. And put that on your prayer list. Um, Pray that the Lord will accelerate that process. We're praying for a three, um, one, one, um, or even better. But I tell you that to remind us that in the very same way, grace saves us, but the growth and the change takes time. We have to receive grace, but we also have to grow in grace. If you look at verse 12, it helps us to see that grace trains believers to live differently, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Grace changes us. It changes how we think, our thought processes. It changes what we crave I think that's on the next slide, Jeff. Yeah. What we crave, what we want to do, and what we end up doing. Grace shapes those things. Grace doesn't free us to do whatever we want. Some people have a horrible misunderstanding of God's grace. One person wrote it this way, Grace is not a license to sin, but enables us or empowers us to do what we should. And God's grace through Jesus teaches us, encourages us, corrects us when we need to be realigned, and disciplines us when necessary. And so in these verses, we find that grace works in two directions. It teaches us to say no, and it teaches us to say yes. What does it teach us to say no from? The old way of life. It says to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Now that word renounce is a much stronger word than just saying no. That means to, you know, reject something, to push it, push away from the table or, you know, just to, to send it back or to exit from a situation. And God's grace leads us or helps us to begin to deny our old way of living, the things that we used to like to do, the patterns that we were in, the things that were, we would find ourselves stuck or trapped. It helps us to move away from those and slowly over time, as we trust in Him, to gain victory through the power of the Spirit. God's grace and patience helps us to recognize those cravings, desires that we have, the wants, the influences of the world, and it helps us or trains us, teaches, instructs us to say no to them, but also to say yes. So when we say no to ungodliness, we turn and say yes to God's ways. And when we say no to the world, we say yes to the things of his kingdom. So grace also teaches us to say yes to a new way of living. When we embrace God's grace, when it begins to grip us, to catch a hold of us, 
over time, our heart becomes soft. That we become more aware that repentance is for our benefit. It's not for our punishment. And this new heart begins to form and shape. And along with it comes a growing, it should be growing, desire to please God and to follow after the things of God. And Paul writes to Titus and gives him three words to describe the way that this transformation comes. Self-control. To be sober-minded or right-minded or prudent. It's one of those fruit of the Spirit. That it's only the Spirit that helps us to say no when we need to. To say no when we'd rather say yes. And to avoid circumstances. But he goes on and says, self-controlled and upright. An upright person does the right thing at the right time for the right reasons. So motivated by grace, we seek to please God, not in an attempt to earn His favor, but because we love Him. It's out of our love for Him that we follow Him. But then he says godly. That we try to live our life to the best of our ability in the light of God's love and presence. It's the idea of having a devotion to God and His Word. It's to determine to live for His purposes and not our own. And each of these are daily processes of growth. That's why we're growing in these things. So how does grace help us? Words from Scripture, 1 Corinthians 12, 9 says, Grace sustains us in times of need. 2 Timothy 2, 1 says, Grace gives us strength. 2 Corinthians 4, 15 says that grace produces thanksgiving and joy. And Colossians 4, 6 tells us that grace should season our conversation. And 2 Corinthians 1, verse 12 tells us that it's God's grace that enables Christians to live holy and godly lives. See, God's grace gives us help in what Paul calls this present age, which means right here, right now, the, the dark, getting darker world that we live in while we wait for something better. And grace also helps us anticipate that something better because grace fuels hope for our future. Look at verse 13. Waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so grace appeared in Jesus. Jesus is coming again. And when life gets hard, circumstances are tough, and you feel drugged down, and you just need something to keep you going. There's a hope that motivates us and excites us that things won't always be this way. Jesus is coming again. So Jesus is grace in the flesh. He's also the blessed hope. And this grace gives us the proper perspective not only on the life we live in right now, but also on the future that is coming. Now we're waiting, but that waiting is not passive. It's not sit in your easy chair, take a nap, and just cover your head up with a pillow until Jesus comes back. No, it's an active waiting. And this anticipation of Jesus' return should lead us to make preparation, to be ready. 
If I called somebody up and said, hey, let's go fishing this weekend. Oh, man, you'd, you know, you'd be thinking, okay, what am I going to wear? I need to get that rod and reel out of the garage, dust the dust off of it, find out my tackle box, probably put new lawn on it because I haven't you know, used it in a couple of years, and you would be ready. Or somebody calls up and says, hey, i got a tea time in the morning. Oh, man, you got to clean your golf clubs up. You're going to count how many golf balls you have, maybe take a few practice swings um, in the backyard or in the living room because there's anticipation of something that is going to happen. Jesus is coming back. And as Jesus instructed in Luke 12, we should stay dressed for action and keep our lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Hudson Taylor, famous missionary, put it this way, since Jesus may come any day, it is well to be ready every day. And so, by His grace, we wait for the blessed hope that is coming because God rescues sinners, He cleanses their lives, and then He sets them apart to be His people. Look at verse 14. Who gave Himself, speaking of Jesus, for us, you and me, to redeem us, from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So he's describing to us the, the cost of this redemption. That Jesus laid down his life for us at the cross. He did it because he loves us and his death paid the debt of sin for all of mankind. And then the reminder for us that it was in his place, in my place, in your place, that Jesus died. And the reason here that Paul zeroes in on is that he is creating a people of his very own. People called by the name of Jesus, later called Christians, followers of the way, who are members of his church. That at present meets in buildings and in places all over our world in many different forms. But all are united under the name of Jesus. And this people is gathered together and united and adopted into God's family by, though, by faith in Jesus. And when they're adopted in, you know what happens? There's a name change. You're called by His name. He cleans us up. He purifies us. We're purified by the blood of Jesus. And then he sets us on the right course to live a life that pleases God. And the result is that if you're, as you're changed by grace, as you grow in grace, is that we have opportunity in our actions and with our words to grace others. And so we get to share grace. So the grace of God brings salvation, it transforms lives, and finally it ignites compassion and love. At the end of verse 14, there's a little four-word phrase, to be zealous for good works. Amplified helps us to understand that word zealous, eager and enthusiastic about living a life that is good and filled with beneficial deeds, not diseases, 
Um, in other words, another way of saying that is if you understand grace, you'll share grace or extend grace to others. Because God's people who have been rescued by His grace are eager to do what is good. There's a motivation out of gratitude and of love because they're defined by a relationship with Jesus, not by the things of their past. And they are totally convinced, if you are if you were head over heels in love with Jesus and wrapped up in His grace, you are convinced that His grace changes everything. I brought a few lines from a song, Grace Changes Everything. I had not heard it before, but I do like the words. There's no sin too great. There's no pain too deep. The cross declares it is done. There's no shame too real that His love won't heal. Forever the victory is won. God's grace changes everything. So Monday morning I walked into Starbucks with four different books that I had not started reading before, and I started reading four books. Um, I haven't probably read that many books at one time other than commentaries um, since I was taking um, some seminary classes. But one of the books in my stack is a red book um, written by a man named Sam Black. It came in the mail from Covenant Eyes, and it's called The Healing Church. It's about how the church can be loving and gracious and embracing those that are struggling with pornography and sexual sin. And I want to read you a quote because his understanding of this is, is just beautiful. He says, grace overflows and can't be contained. God rescues people, even Christians, and helps them turn their maladies into ministry. And when a local church sets its heart on this work, that church becomes stronger, producing servants who give greater care to others and make their pastor's workload man who's changed by grace and understands that grace overflows and it can't be contained. So how can you and I start to show grace to others? Just some a few ways. Extend forgiveness to others. You don't always have to be right. And it's okay for other people to be wrong too. Extend forgiveness. Even if it's not accepted on the other side, be forgiving people. Show compassion and kindness rather than frustration and contempt. It involves patience. It involves understanding grace. But being compassionate and kind. And then share the good news of grace because people around us need it. And that comes through your story. Some people will read the Bible along with you. Pretty much anybody will listen to your story when you share your story. And if it's a story of transformation, they're going to look at you and say, wow. And they're going to know something's different. And we're there to point them toward Jesus. Because Jesus is God's grace revealed. And the questions that we have to answer is, have we received that grace first for salvation? And are we experiencing His continued rescue? To be reminded that God loves us even when we don't feel lovable or we think we're unloved. And when you begin to discover the wonder of His grace, you begin to receive what God has for us. It's acceptance. 
Not based on performance, but based on our identity. Love that will never leave us. Forgiveness that we never thought possible. And freedom that is more exciting and unbelievable than we could ever imagine, which fills our hearts with joy and anticipation and excitement. Grace overflows and can't be contained. Oh, we need more joyful, excited Christians anticipating the return of the Savior and sharing God's wonderful love. I want to tell you one more story. A man named Scott Heiberger. Scott was arrested the first time when he was 12 years old. After that, he was arrested 34 more times and served five sentences. He was miraculously released from prison by God's grace. He's now um, the head of what he entitled Behind the Wire Ministries, ministering to those um, individuals who are incarcerated. Um, they made a movie about him, and his story basically is how God took him from prison to the pulpit. And I want you to listen to his words. I lived behind man's bars, and I've lived behind the invisible bars I built myself. I built my own prison. Most of the time, we don't even know we are in prison. You don't have to live in prison to be in a prison. Freedom isn't just about a physical location. It's about spiritual condition. There's an invisible prison that holds many in its grips, and the only way out of that is through Jesus. Selfish decisions put us in prison, and acts of obedience are the way out. And then he said, you get started by getting started. That image was striking to me. Many are in prison. They don't even know they're in prison. And come to find out, the bars are the ones that they've built for themselves. But the grace of God brings salvation. Sets prisoners free. Transforms life. And and finally, it ignites compassion and love. How can we get started? Scott Heiberger says you start by getting started, which means you don't just sit there, you do something. So let me just, there's three things and we're going to pray. When we're reminded of grace appearing in Jesus, the question we have to ask is, have we received it? Or are we currently receiving it? Grace changed your life. Are you growing in grace? Are you working toward living a holy and godly life? Are you working toward being the servant, the disciple that He called you to be? And then have you embraced the fact that grace is rewriting your story? And are you sharing that story with other people? Grace appeared in Jesus. And that grace provides salvation the atmosphere for growth and compassion and love for others. May we pray. Father, as we come toward the end of our time this morning, we are grateful for your goodness toward us. We deserve absolutely nothing. But you, through giving your Son to die for us, have given us all things.
we are infinitely more needy than we would like to admit, but yet you meet every need in your son Jesus. That while we would rather remain in guilt, shame, fear, your grace calls us towards something better exciting new life and that your grace motivates us to share love and compassion with others oh Lord overflow in our hearts your spirit that your grace would flow in us and through us for the benefit of the nation and as we answer Lord what is grace help us to see that it is a gift for us and as your church, we are your people who receive grace and who share grace. Thank you, O oh Father. Thank you, Jesus. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, for speaking to each individual heart. Let me say thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give us a moment to, to listen to the Lord and to respond. I think Jeff is going to play some music quietly in just a moment, but maybe it's just wrestling with this idea of, God, you've shown your grace to me. Help me to just fall head over heels into your arms of love and receive what you have for me. Maybe it's the battle against guilt and shame and you don't see grace as real and you you just God I'm coming to you. Maybe you just as we were you heard that story about the about Scott Heiberger that you realized hey, there's some prison bars that I've built in front of me. And you want those walls to come down. You do that by coming to Jesus. Maybe there's another burden on your heart and you just need to lean into the Lord and ask for His help, His encouragement, His strength. Or maybe there's another decision. Maybe it's today. God's saying, hey, this is where I want you planted. I want you to be a part here and be a part of this family. They're not perfect. I'm not perfect either, but I think this is where God's calling me today to be that day. Or maybe it's answering that first call from Jesus to respond to His grace. Where He says, come to me. Put your trust in me and I will give you eternal life and drink from the streams of living water. The music will play quietly as the Lord speaks. I trust you respond.
we trust these things to you and ask you to work in our hearts by your spirit for your glory. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The worship team, while they're coming up to lead us in the closing song, I just want to remind you of the fact that our church office will be closed tomorrow in commemoration of Labor Day. So if you have any church business, you can just push that off to Tuesday. If there are any emergencies, you can be sure and give me a call. And Deborah is going to come and, and give us a little bit of an update about Embrace Grace. If you get the prayer chain, you, you know this already, but um, we have a girl that's going to be joining us. Um, she's from Godly, and so we're praying for her. Um, she contacted, well, I found out about her, and I contacted her, and she responded, and she just said, I can't come on Sunday mornings. And it was really confirmation for me because I had already been looking at the stuff going, we can't do this in an hour in the morning and then be in the church service. We'll never make it even before the end of the service down here if we do it on Sunday mornings. And so it was, it was really confirmation for me to say, we've got to move this to Wednesday nights. And um, we don't have childcare on Wednesday nights, and that was why I was kind of reluctant to do that. But she this will be her first child. And so we're still seeking for the Lord to bring more people. There's some new flyers that are updated out here on the table if you're interested in having some to share. Um, I have somebody taking flyers to Joshua. It's covered, but I still need people who'd be willing to take flyers to Burleson, somebody to Centennial and somebody to Burleson High School. I've taken some to um, Crossroads. So, um, yeah, if you'll, if you'll see me about that. But anyway, that's the, the change. So we're really excited to be praying. Thanks, Deborah. And just remember, that won't start this Wednesday. It'll start the next Wednesday. It'll start on September 13th. So just be praying for that, that the Lord would, would add more young ladies and for this first young lady also that she would see through it and, and be blessed through the process. I want to thank you for, for joining us for, for worship this morning. It's been great to gather together. hope that you enjoy some time with family or some time to relax or maybe even some good food as you're um, celebrating this um, Labor Day weekend. Um, I want to invite you to stand. Um, we're going to sing um, together, and then when we conclude singing together, um, you'll be dismissed. So Lord bless you.